Hello Pathway family, thank you for joining us today. Um, by now you've probably already experienced Christmas in your homes and if maybe you're waiting into the next into the new year to celebrate with your extended family and friends. Uh, however you celebrated Christmas this year, uh, whether it's been regular or it's been different than what you're used to, uh, we hope that this time has been an encouragement for you and your family uh, to reflect on the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, I know for myself one of the one of the one of the things I think about the most during this time of year um, is how God has been faithful um, in my life and how he's been faithful in sending his son Jesus uh, onto, earth, into, onto earth to, to, to live a life that we couldn't live and, and to die a, a death to pay a price that we couldn't pay. Uh, and today what, what, we, what I really want to talk to you guys about is um, faithfulness. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look, we're going to go back into the Old Testament, we're going to run through, and we're going to look how God has been faithful throughout history. Uh, how he's always been faithful to his people and how he's made promises and covenants that proved his faithfulness uh, throughout, throughout all time and how we can still have that faith in him today. And so uh, what we're our main verse that we're going to be reading today is found in 2 Timothy 2 verses 11 to 13. So if you have your Bibles at home, feel free to, to, to look it up and read with me if you like, or you can, or you can just follow along on the screen. But this is how it goes. 2 Timothy 2 verses 11 to 13. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today, and Lord, we thank you for uh, the gift of your Son, that Lord, throughout time, you remain faithful to us despite um, our inability to, to remain faithful to you. Lord, we just pray that during, t during today that we, would, uh, that we would experience your faithfulness in new ways, that we, would, we, would, we would, um, that we would know it, that we would believe it, and that it would be something that could bring us rest in a time where maybe it's, it's difficult, or maybe we're experiencing difficulties. Lord, we thank you for today, and we pray this in your name. Amen. So we're going to begin with the beginning of the Bible, and we're going to talk about uh, the God's creation. So in Genesis, we read that God created everything. He created the heavens, the earth, everything that's inside of the earth, and he also created mankind. <clears throat> in Genesis 1 verse 31, uh, it says that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was no problem with the things that he had made. Uh, he thought that it was good that he had done so. And we see in, the, in Genesis the, the, the story of, of, of God having, having relationship with, with Adam and Eve in the garden and how there's this relationship that existed between them and this, this, uh, the assignments that he gave them. He, gave, he let them name the animals and uh, they lived in this relationship together. The only thing that God told them not to do was to eat from the, the fruit of the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, uh, as time went on, eventually Eve is tempted by this character uh, known as the serpent to take from this to take the fruit from the tree and of, of knowledge of good and evil and to eat from it. She knew that it was wrong to do so, but she chooses to do it anyways, and she does it and she gives some to her husband Adam. And here we see the first instance of of man's sin towards God, the first rebellion, the first time that they are unfaithful uh, towards God. And in Romans five verse twelve, it says this. 
Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Adam and Eve may have been the first people to sin, but it's certainly not something that is unique just to them. According to Romans, we have all sinned, and the subject, and we are subject to the penalty of that sin. As a result, we are sinful people living in a broken world. Uh, things are not as they should be. And when Adam and Eve had first sinned, the first thing that they do is they run and hide, which seems silly because, you know, they knew who God was. How could they have hid from him? But I have, to, I have to ask you, have you ever felt stuck in your sin? Or have you ever wondered how you're going to get yourself out of the mess you found yourself in? You know, it's terrifying to think of a, a holy and perfect God and us opposing him. What are we going to do? Who can we turn to? There is no one. So we see that Adam and Eve hid, and God confronts them. Um, and even though mankind was unfaithful to God, God doesn't destroy them completely. He saves them. Uh, he, he gives them clothing. They're not allowed to be in the garden anymore. There's consequences, but he doesn't turn his back away from them completely. In fact, actually, as we see as we read through the Bible, is that God is actually on a mission to restore relationship with mankind. He's not going to leave them the way that it is. <clears throat> so Adam and Eve, they, um, they, they, feel, they start to fill the earth with people. There, there's, a, there's a large amount of people that are, that are living in the earth. Um, and what we find is that mankind doesn't move closer towards God. In fact, they actually move in the opposite direction. And they, they begin to sin and they do wickedly in front of God. And in Genesis 6 verse 5 it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So God's, God sees the earth, um, and he sees how wicked it had become and how it's only evil all the time. Um, yeah, so he decides that, you know what, we have to do a reset. We're going to wipe out mankind with a flood. Um, but even though he does that, he saves a righteous man. He, he, he locates one man who, who's, ra- who's righteous, who does right in the, in the sight of God, and decides to save him and his family. And so this is the first, uh, or so, yeah, sorry, so he, saves the, so he saves Noah and his family. The flood comes over the earth. Every, everybody dies. And after that, the, the floodwaters recede. Noah comes back onto the earth. And, and God makes a covenant with Noah. This is the first promise or the first covenant that we're going to look at today. And the covenant that God makes with Noah is this. In Genesis 9, verse 11, he says, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And so God makes this covenant, this promise with Noah, uh, to not send a flood to destroy the entire earth again, and sets the rainbow as a sign of this covenant. Something that's important to notice about this, this promise that he makes to Noah is that God doesn't ask for anything in return. God just tells Noah that this is the promise I'm making to you. I'm not going to do this again. And so we can see how uh, in this situation where we see man, mankind's unfaithfulness and turning to God, the whole world had turned wicked um, and how they had turned away from him. And we see God's faithfulness in saving those who are righteous. We, say, we see that he saved uh, Noah and that he's not going to flood the earth again. And he, and he never does. He doesn't flood the earth again. <clears throat> and so from, from here, Noah and his family repopulate this earth, and God picks another man out of this population, uh, a man called Abraham, and makes a covenant with him. 
so now again, after Noah and his po family populated the earth, again, mankind didn't move towards God in, in a positive way. They actually moved away from him again. Uh, but God still picks out this man named Abraham, and he makes a covenant with him. And he says this to, to Abraham. In Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, it says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. So God makes this, makes this covenant with Abraham to bless and make a nation out of him. And he promises that he's going to bless all the people on earth through Abraham. Now something that's interesting to note is that Abraham likely would not have known and served God before he was called. You know, the time in which Abraham was living, he lived in a polytheistic culture, which means that the culture at the time worshipped many different gods. And it's really unknown how much he would have known about the true God. And this is affirmed in Joshua 24, verse 2, where it says, Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. So Terah was the father of Abraham, and Nahor was his grandfather, and these people worshipped different gods. But God still chose this man Abraham and tells him to leave his country, to leave his people, his father's household, and Abraham obeys. He leaves it behind. We get this inclination that God doesn't is not just okay that you know uh, with the culture he's in, but instead Abraham has has chosen to serve and to follow the true and living God. And so God has made this promise to Abraham that the nation's going to come out of him, and and that's great. Uh, he's married to this woman named Sarah. Problem is that Sarah. I can't really have children. She's kind of barren. And eventually they get to this age where they're like, we can't have kids anymore. We're actually too old. And so Abraham, he tries to, fill God's, he tries to fulfill God's covenant uh, through his servant by having a child with her instead. And his wife kind of supports it. This wasn't God's plan and really doesn't end up well. Uh, there's a lot of strife that happens between Abraham's wife and, this, and the servant and the son. And it, it doesn't go the way that it should but eventually, Abraham and Sarah do have a child. God is faithful in the covenant that he makes with, with Isaac and the promise of him having a child. And this, this child named Isaac comes from them. And so in this story, again, we see how Abra even though Abraham was unfaithful in this promise, in this covenant, uh, in, in you know, trying to get things done his own way, that God's faithful to the promise that he made, despite, what Abraham, despite Abraham uh, trying to do things on his own. Despite Abraham trying to do, thing on, do things on his own, God was still faithful to do what he had said he would do. <clears throat> so through Abraham and Isaac, and Isaac has uh, Esau and Jacob, uh, and then Jacob has the 12, 12 children, the, which become the 12, the 12 tribes of, of Israel. The Hebrew people emerge, and they, they, find, they move to Egypt, first as honored guests, and they become this bigger nation, and later they're forced to work as slaves. They're not recognized as guests anymore. In fact, they're, they're persecuted in this, in this country of Egypt. But God recognizes their trouble, and he uses this man named Moses to save people from Egypt, and he brings them to a place called Mount Sinai. And in the, in the story of Exodus, uh, verses, or chapters 19 to 24, it details how God descends in a cloud to make another covenant, another promise. 
this time with all of the Hebrew congregation. And he speaks to them so that they are all able to hear him. But this covenant that God makes with the Hebrews is conditional. He promises to be their God and to bless them, but only if they agree to follow his laws and commands. And the Hebrew people agree to this, and so the covenant is made. And, you know, the, the fact that God revealed himself to the Hebrew people and gave them laws and rules was actually a great mercy to them. You may not, may not realize this, but in the, in the culture that they lived, the polytheistic cultures, the ones that worshipped different gods, they didn't know exactly what was expected of them from these gods all the time. You know, their gods could be fickle or demanding. Uh, they weren't seen as necessarily, you know, like they're good or bad. They didn't have morals. They, and they were, they, these gods were dependent on humans for sacrifice. And so there's this kind of give and take where humans are trying to get something from the gods, the, a blessing, and the gods are trying to get sacrifices from humans. And the humans would perform different rituals and try to, in order to try to please these gods. And they never really knew if what they were doing was, was the thing that the god wanted them to do. But they did them in hoping, hoping to get these blessings. But in a huge contrast, God reveals himself to the Hebrew people. They could know him. He reveals himself as an all-powerful God that doesn't need anything from the people. He doesn't need anything. Instead of having needs from the people, God's rules and laws spoke to the morality of the people. He was concerned with, how, with, with who they were. They were to follow his rules so that they could stand in holiness before him, apart from the other, apart from the other cultures. And as long as they obeyed God's laws, they could be guaranteed blessings as a nation. There was no trial and error to try to know what pleased or didn't please God. They didn't have to wonder. God had revealed himself to them, and, they, and that, that was a huge mercy. You know, what other God spoke to his people, revealed his presence, or let his people know what he expected of them? <clears throat> and so God was, was faithful to this, this covenant, and, uh, and when the people obeyed his laws, he blessed them. And when, he, when they disobeyed his laws and when they turned away from him, he removed their blessings from them. He was faithful to the, to the, to the covenant and faithful to the conditions he laid out. <clears throat> And, you know, oftentimes, you know, maybe you feel like you don't know what God wants from you. Um, you're not sure, like, you know, if how you should act or how you should behave. But just so you know, God has revealed himself to us through his word. And we can know him and we can get to know him better through it. And so we don't have to wonder what he wants from us. By studying the word and knowing him better, we can know what he expects from us. <clears throat> so God has this, this nation, the Hebrew people. And sometimes they, they do well and, and they gain the blessings of God and sometimes they, they fall away. But all the time God is faithful in, 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 in uh, restoring his people. When they call out to him, he's faithful to go, to go back to them and to, uh, and to restore them. So God brings the Hebrew people to a chosen land known as Israel. <clears throat> and over time they decide to have kings rule over them like the other nations. The Israelite people decide to have, have kings. And now God allows them to do this. Um, and even though it wasn't necessarily the, the ideal situation, God, God would have rather to be, have been their king, but he allows them to, to make the decision to have uh, human rulers. And Israel's second king is a, is a man named David, and the Bible twice refers to him as being a man after God's own heart, someone who followed after God, desired him. 
And to this, to this man, David, this King David, God makes another covenant, another promise. <clears throat> and in 2 Samuel 7, verses 11 to 13, God makes an unconditional covenant with David. He is not requiring anything from David. He's just saying that this is what he's going to do with David. And he reveals it through the prophet Nathan. And he says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so God is faithful to this, to this covenant promise. David does have a son, and he does become uh, the next king, and, and he does build a house for, for God. Uh, but David and Solomon both have issues in, in, in following God as well. David sins against God during his kingship. He has extramarital affairs. He commits murder. Um, but he, he, he repents and he turns back to God. And Solomon also has failures, even though God's given him a lot. And in fact, uh, Solomon ends up disobeying God by marrying a lot of different women from different cultures, which God warned him not to do. Um, and what happens, what ends up happening is these women... Uh, lead Solomon away from God and into into worshiping other other gods, other foreign gods. But despite you know the 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 failures of David and Solomon, God still is faithful to His covenant promise. Solomon becomes king after David, and God establishes an eternal king in the line of David later on through Christ, who reigns forever. And this is why in the beginning of Matthew and Luke we have these genealogies that show how Jesus is related to King David. It's actually a proof, it's, a, it's an evidence that God, uh, you know, his, his promise to, to David is true. That the, through the line of David, this king would come and he would rule forever. <clears throat> so God made all of these covenants with the people, and, these were, and they were great. Um, but the nation of Israel were unable to, to keep them continually. They keep on falling away from God. And after Solomon is king, after David's son Solomon's king, the nation actually splits up into two kingdoms, in the, in the, into northern Israel and to southern Judah. And both of these kingdoms also fall into sin. Uh, you know, sometimes they have good kings and sometimes they have terrible kings. Uh, but eventually they all fall into sin. <clears throat> and some other kings even offer their children as sacrifices to foreign gods. And so what ends up happening is the nations have turned away from God. And they fall into captivity um, the northern kingdom of Israel is taken away by Assyria, and the southern kingdom of Judah is taken away by Babylon. <clears throat> and during the time of these kings, there's prophets that God has been sending, uh, and they speak of a, of a future, a future new covenant, a, fu a new promise that is going to come in the future, as well as a, a coming Messiah, one who is going to save the people. And in Isaiah 7, verse 14, it talks about the coming Messiah. It says, Therefore the Lord will himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. In Jeremiah 31, 31, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And so here we see again, uh, despite mankind's unfaithfulness uh, and turning their backs to God, that God is faithful, both to his promises of destruction uh, and captivity when, when people when the when the Israelites uh, turned their back on him, and also he was faithful to them in mercy uh, when they turn back when they when the nation turns back to him and he causes those who were captured by Babylon uh, to be sent back to Israel. And so this is kind of where we where we enter the time of Jesus's birth. 
uh, some time has passed since they've arrived back in Israel uh, and the Jews from Babylon, the Babylonian captivity have returned. But Rome now controls Israel. Israel does not have a king of its own. Ever since they were captured by Babylon, they have not had uh, their own king to sit on the throne. So Rome now controls Israel, and, and the Israelites are waiting for a redeemer. We've heard from the prophets that, you know, there's a new covenant coming, and there's a, there's, a, there's a Messiah that's supposed to come, and they're waiting for this redeemer. And so imagine the excitement that Mary must have felt when the angel Gabriel announces the birth of the Savior in Luke 1, verse 31 to 33, and tells her that Jesus is the one who is the Son of the Lord and is going to sit on the throne of David forever. Like, this is the moment that they've been waiting for. They've been waiting for the Messiah to come, to free them from their oppressors. And now Mary is the one who's going to be carrying that child. I can't imagine the, the excitement that she must have been feeling. And she goes to her relative, Elizabeth. And when Mary tells her relative, who was also pregnant at the time with John the Baptist, Elizabeth's baby leaps for joy inside the womb. And when we see the shepherds, and Rob talked about this last week, um, where the shepherds who witnessed the angels who, who told them that the Savior had been born, and they went to go see the baby, and then they went and they spread what they had seen to everybody else. There's such an excitement built around this coming Messiah that is finally here. They've been waiting for him. <clears throat> and through this, this, this uh, baby, or through this, through this child, Jesus, who grows up to be a man and talks about the kingdom of God, and eventually he, he lays down his life uh, as a sacrifice for sin, God establishes yet another covenant, another promise, often referred to as the new covenant. And the new covenant replaces the old covenant, which is the adherence to the law. The, the law that nobody was able to keep. The Israelites never were able to keep it. And so God establishes this new covenant, and in Luke 22, 14, verse 20, Jesus, is, Jesus gives his disciples a sign of what this covenant is to look like. And this is what Luke 22, verses 14 to 20 says. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus, he's saying that, you know, the blood that he's going to spill and the, and, the, and the body that is going to be broken, which is represented by the wine and the blood, signifies his death and uh, the sacrifice that Christ is going to make for people so that for the punishment of sin. And Jesus actually fulfills a bunch of different covenants that God had made previously. Jesus fulfills the covenant given to Abraham when God says that his offspring will be a blessing to all the nations. John 1 verse 29 says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It wasn't just for the Jewish people, but the sacrifice that Christ was going to make was going to be enough for the world. It was going to be a blessing to all nations. Ephesians 2 verse 13 to 14 is written by Paul to, to the Ephesian church, and he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of, of hostility. The wall that separated the Jewish people uh, and the Gentile is destroyed. It, access, to, access to salvation, access to Christ is given to all. Jesus fulfills the Mosaic covenant given to the Hebrew people in that he's able to keep the entirety of the law. and He's able to walk before God in holiness. And Hebrews 4 verse, 4, 4 verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Jesus was a, was a sinless man. Uh, he lived a perfect life. Jesus also fulfills the Davidic covenant, or the covenant that, that God made with, with David, promising to keep, David, or keep David's descendant on the throne forever. Jesus, who, who died and rose again, now sits at the right hand of God as king forever. <clears throat> and now this new covenant in which we are able to have salvation, that we can be free from the law. We're not required to, to try to meet all the requirements with our, with our works and with our deeds because Christ met, met the standard. He, he paid the price. He uh, was able to fulfill the law so we didn't have to. He gives it as an offering to us. But this covenant, this new covenant, this promise is conditional. Like the Mosaic covenant, when God made this promise to the Hebrew people and said, um, if you are going to keep my laws and my rules, then I will be with you. If you don't, I will not be with you. We have to accept Christ. We have to accept the sacrifice that he paid for us in order to, 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 to take part in this new covenant with him. In 1 John verse 2, verse 2, he says, He is the, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And John 3.16, a very popular verse that I'm sure most of you know. God's, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And similarly to how Abraham was called from, from, his, from the culture that he was in uh, to follow the one and true God, we are also called to believe and to follow God. Uh, in faith, to believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that God sent. Where mankind was un unable to fulfill the requirements of the law and we proved to be unfaithful, God was faithful through all of it. <clears throat> so know that whatever situation you're in, if this new year seems um, challenging to you, or you're, you're uncertain of what it's going to bring, that God has been faithful and that he's going to be faithful in our lives. And what, what do we do with this information? What do we, what do, we do? Um, I would say that take, take time to reflect as you walk into the next year. As you enter this next year, that maybe you don't know what's going to happen and maybe it's uncertain for, for you. Reflect and rest in the faithfulness of God who proved himself throughout, throughout Scripture. And who throughout history has been in, in been at work in order to restore that relationship between us. You know, going through and finding these covenants may, may seem like a lot of work, so what we're going to do is we're going to put together um, a PDF for you on, on Facebook so you can explore some of these covenants a little bit more for yourself if you like. And, on, and, and, on, and if you already know um, God's faithfulness in your life and you've experienced it and you, you know that it brings rest to you, um, I would challenge you to share God's faithfulness with others. Let them know what, what God has done for you in your life and what he's done throughout, throughout all time for all people. Um, yeah. 
In closing, we are going to we're going to re, re we're going to reread Second uh, Timothy two verse eleven thirteen. <clears throat> the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. During this Christmas season and as we enter the new year, let's remember God's faithfulness throughout history. Though we have failed and been unfaithful to him, it has not changed his faithfulness. Our failures do not determine what he does or does not do. He will be faithful to what he says he will do. We can trust in him. We can rest in him and we can trust him in a future that we, that we don't know. But we can know that God is always and will always be faithful. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we just thank you for today. And Lord, we just pray for um, anybody who's viewing this right now that if they don't know your faithfulness, Lord, that you would, uh, that you would make it clear to them that you, um, from the very beginning, have been, been after them, that you desire them, um, that you have been faithful in, in all things and that you have made a way that they can be in relationship with you. Lord, help us to remember your faithfulness in times when we when we struggle, when times of uncertainty, help us to rest in your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you so much for everything you've done for us and the things that you continue to do for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat>